You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, so just to let you folks know, every time we do the Paracast, we're using Skype to make the connection. Skype can be a little temperamental sometimes. Not maybe because it's a Microsoft product, but maybe because it is. So today, we had some connectivity problems before we got started. I think things are working out well now. In any case, I want to welcome back one of our favorite guests here on the Paracast. He's somebody who graciously will come on with very short notice and not tell me where to go and how to get there. Kevin Randall, welcome back to the Paracast. I am delighted to be here at the Paracast. I wanted to talk to you about something you've been mentioning over at your blog. I guess it's an issue, although to me it shouldn't be an issue. This TV show on the History Channel, historical fiction or something, or partly sci-fi, Project Blue Book, which is very loosely based on J. Allen Hynek's experiences in the early 50s with the real Project Blue Book. Now, when I saw the trailers for this show, I guess they've turned him into a sort of action hero. And it's his encounters with the UFO cases in the early 50s and Project Blue Book. I got to see part of the first episode. And it was kind of a paint-by-the-numbers drama at the beginning where everybody gets introduced. It was a pilot episode. I gather here that people out there in the UFO field may be concerned because of the fact that it's fiction. They take real cases and they adapt them. It's ripped from the headlines. What's your perception, Kevin? Well, the first thing that I thought of when I was watching the program was a Heineck J. Allen Hynek is, uh, as you said, sort of an action hero in this thing, that uh, he's involved in a plane crash, he's out in the field investigating, they're being chased by people and all kinds of stuff like that. And I wondered, people people were saying, well, you know, J. Allen Hynek would be spinning in his grave if he saw this and uh, wouldn't like it at all. And I thought, gee, I wonder what the family thinks. So I got in touch with uh, Paul Hynek one of the younger sons of Alan Hynek, and asked him what he thought. And he said that he thought his father would uh, be sitting on the couch with a big bowl of popcorn, having a great old time watching the show. He'd love it. So the Hynek family is on board, and they were dealing with the Hynek family on this, and they knew what was going to happen. The other thing is, uh, I tried to separate it into two categories. One is, is it a good drama? Is it a good show in that respect and i kind of like it uh, has sort of an x-file vibe with that sort of thing so i kind of like the show uh but it's not a documentary it's a drama and what they're attempting to do is i guess take us back to the world of the early 1950s and and you see the sets and you see what they've done with the the background and stuff and they've done a very nice job of bringing all of that that together and the uh cases are sort of i, I we in the UFO field can recognize them for what they are. We knew immediately that it was the Gorman dogfight instead of, and I forget the name they used um, on the program. And, and so we, we looked at all of that. 
but it's a drama. It's not a documentary. If they'd wanted to do a documentary, they could have done something completely different. So I, I kind of like the show in, in that respect and um, you know, look forward to the episodes as, as they play out. Yeah, it's my understanding Heineck was a pretty easygoing guy. And of course, he was also involved in the major motion picture, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And he even had a, a cameo in that. And he, he was just a very personable person who you know, he recognized that there's there's drama and fiction in film. And that's just how the game is played. One of the things I, I wanted to say here just very briefly about that is that whatever we think of the show, the ratings aren't bad for a cable TV drama. They really aren't. And when you look at the ratings, and I'm watching them right now for the most recent episode, they've got something called Curse of Oak Island, which you've mentioned, Kevin, as number one from History Channel. And then we've got things like sport events, and WWE SmackDown, Inside the NBA, and Rachel Maddow Show. And then there's Project Blue Book. And it's really not bad. Well, the ratings, the ratings are fine for a, a cable drama. I, what what kind of cracks me up is, you know, if you go back pre-cable and when we didn't have 500 channels to choose from, a rating like they get today that they think are extraordinary would be canceled in a minute uh you know the i love lucy used to get what 25 30 million viewers something like that uh for a cable show it's doing very well the curse of oak island for some reason continues to hang on where there are big promises every week we found something in the next week well it's not that big a deal uh the, the other thing on the ratings that i wonder is uh i never watch watch it right after curse of oak island i watch it the following hour so they show the episode at nine o'clock, um, well, central time, nine o'clock, and then they repeat it at 10 o'clock. So I wonder if they're kind of dividing their audience and, and, or if they are lumping the, the ratings for those two viewings together. And then they replay it quite a bit and it's available on demand and it's available um, on, the, on the history site. So you wonder you know, how the ratings play into that or are they, uh, are they counting all the numbers? I don't know how they get the ratings in, in today's world. Oh, I imagine they probably have statistics for each of those different situations that you talked about. And then, of course, the aggregate. And uh, it, it, these days, still, the headline UFO is going to get some ratings. It's going to attract some attention. And we still see it being used, I would say, inappropriately. How, what do you think of that? I don't know that UFO is the big draw that it used to be. It may well be. I don't know. They don't really use UFO in the Project Blue Book show. They, they talk about, you know, it's Project Blue Book and you have to bring in the alien visitation, I guess, from outside of that. You know, they, they really don't promote that kind of thing. And I, I think that, the as I said, what they're doing is they're doing a drama. In essence, what they're doing is a drama, and we have to look at it from that point of view. If we wanted a documentary, there's other shows that allege to be documentaries, which I think are pretty much far from it, but um, this isn't claiming to be any kind of a documentary. This is a, a program that draws its material from the Project Blue Book files. The other thing is the uh, the showrunners, uh, David 
O'Leary, and uh, one of the senior vice presidents for the Discovery Channel for Scripted Shows, are incredibly knowledgeable about UFOs. You know, I've had some correspondence with um, Arturo, who's the senior vice president, and he, I, I would mention something, and he would bring in all this other ancillary information demonstrating uh, deep knowledge of UFOs. Something, the knowledge may be deeper than some members of the UFO community have. Uh, so, you know, that's interesting. They know about that stuff, and they, you know, they're talking to me about how we're trying to do this and that uh, and and bring in these other aspects because we've got to make it a drama. We've got to, uh, you know, we don't want to give the whole thing away in the first episode, which, you know, is Hynek's evolution in his thinking about ufos you know i'd say well people knew the boat was going to sink if you're looking at titanic or 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 custer wasn't going to survive the little bighorn and they said yes but that's like a two-hour show and we've got you know an ongoing series and we have a different dynamic for putting it together so if you look at all of that and you kind of understand where they're coming from and is it is it introducing people to the the ufo phenomenon that may not have gotten there uh then it's all to the good i think we got more to come on this talking about the project blue book tv show for the history channel and more with kevin randall gene steinberg jay randall murphy you're in the paracast we also have swag you know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Normal blood pressure, naturally. How would that make you feel? I'm Don from New Mexico. Uh, January of 2000, I had a heart attack. Uh, then my real health began going downhill. I had high blood pressure, diabetes, poor vision. I wasn't sleeping well. I was a mess. Don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract. I started taking heart and body extract from within a few days. I started sleeping better. My blood pressure normalized. My diabetes normalized. My sleep improved. Experience these benefits and more when your body heals itself with the assistance of heart and body extract. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. And folks, I did not expect this at all. By the 7th, 8th, and ninth day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking heart and body extract. Heart and body extract comes with a 100% ironclad money back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract. 
hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax manager hotline now 800-503-8625 800-503-8625 you may need this herbal tea for relief right away so write this down d-r-m-i-l-l-e-r-s clinic.com if you take meds then suffer stomach distress constipation indigestion acid reflux and bloating and nothing else helps get dr miller's holy tea or super holy tea a cleansing detoxifying herbal tea now available at great rates direct from dr miller Miller's office. Call or click 888-660-7039 or D-R-M-I-L-L-E-R-S clinic.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We are continuing with, with our discussion about the History Channel TV show, Project Blue Book. And, you know, when I think of a show like this where they're basically taking real events and fictionalizing them, ripped from the headlines, as they say in some shows, at least it's better if you're going to use a real figure than something like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Ever hear of that film? I tried not to watch that. I'd be grateful. I think I got into half of it, and I just said, forget about it. This isn't working. Let's get back to this. Go ahead, please. Right. Well, there's been a number of attempts to do, whether it's documentaries or docudramas, and not all of them are, not all of them work out that well. But I was really hoping that this one would. And I like the feel of it. I, I'm looking forward to more episodes, and I guess we'll just have to see where it goes. Well, I was kind of I'm very supportive of the program, you know, separating it into the two different categories, drama and uh, reality. But the, the last one, uh, where they were sort of doing the Child's Witted sighting from 1948, I, I thought they kind of slipped off the rails there as they ventured into crop circles and uh, Soviet espionage and some other other things that were going on so i you know i didn't like that one as well as the others 
but I look at it as, like I said, I look at it as a drama. I look at it as um, not a historical document, not as a documentary. And in that aspect, I en- I enjoy it. And the other thing that they do, and I caught this at the end of the, the last one with the Charles Wooded sighting, they give you information about the actual case that kind of inspired the episode. And in this one, they told you a little bit about it. And it said at the end that uh, Dr. Hynek had suggested that it was a meteor. And if we look at the Charles Witted case, which is the, the two airline pilots see the cigar-shaped craft flash by their, their airplane, when you look at the evidence that was gathered at the time and the, the um, interviews conducted by the two pilots, with the two pilots at the time, Hynek's assessment back in 1948 when the case took place was it probably was a bolide and with what we know about meteors and the way they break up and the i guess the sometimes optical illusion that makes it look like they're flying horizontally or that they're actually climbing a little bit when you put all that into context and with what they saw bolide makes very good uh, explanation for that case in 1968 there was a re-entry of something called the zon 4 i think it was a soviet spacecraft that fell and as it broke up you had a number of people who thought they were seeing a cigar-shaped craft with square windows and a flame out the back just as child and witted had had said back in 1948 and i think that's a good explanation and to the credit of the project blue book show they mentioned that you know that was hynek's solution back then and i thought that was a, a good thing for them to do here's a case that was inexplicable in 1948 and now in 2019 we have i think a good explanation for that specific case and they didn't cover that up they didn't try to hide that they brought it out at the end of the show that this case is probably explained by a meteor i find that very commendable because i think they're demonstrating an honesty here hey we're delivering a fiction show here but they are based on real events and here's something about the real event which is i think pretty good what have the people you've talked to in the ufo field said about this almost universally they don't like it they are just they're just incensed by it but a little bit surprised at some of my, my my colleagues that I communicate with because they seem on other things to be a little bit more liberal about their interpretation of the of the programming that we see. But this one, it seems that an awful lot of them just don't like it and they're just outraged by it. Some of the colleagues that I have that are not as in depth into the UFO field as some of us can be they seem to be enjoying the show too so it's kind of broken down into well there's there's people who absolutely hate it and there's other people who well it's okay and there's people who like it a a couple of them said well we're glad that you're watching it so that we don't have to type of thing you know because i put up a little (laughs) bit of a story about the blog about the um program on my blog uh, after after i view it maybe give more information about the specific case that kind of inspired the episode. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the board, I guess is what I'm saying. The fact that it gets attention, positive or negative, may cause some people to watch it even if they don't like it. Let's see what kind of crazy, stupid thing they're going to do this week. <laughs> you know, like watching a train wreck if they assume it's a train wreck, which, of course, it's not. The thing here I'm looking at, I don't for a moment believe that People are going to look at this thing, become interested in UFOs, and expect to see the same story. They realize they're watching entertainment. The thing that I've noticed is that there seems to be more people searching for the information about a specific case after the show airs. So we, we, you know, we had Child Wood and we had the uh, 
West Virginia case, the uh, Flatwoods Monster case. We had the Lubbock Lights. And so I, I think that that inspires people to look at, look at the information about those specific cases because I've seen some discussion on my blog and other privacy discussions that I've had where the people are interested in learning more about a specific case that they may not have been that aware of or, or surprised by the interpretations of it. You know, like I said, they're doing a nice job of presenting the material. I think they do a wonderful job of presenting the, the early 1950s. If you want to be really anal about the whole thing, you look at the timeline. They went from the Gorman fight in 1948. They went to Flatwoods in 1952. Then they went to the Lubbock Lights in 1951, and then this last episode, they were back in 1948. So if you're tracking it on a timeline, they're kind of all over the map. But like I said, they're, they're doing it for the dramatic purposes. And if we understand that, then I think that uh, we'll be able to enjoy the show, show more than if we're just looking to nitpick the thing apart. And, and in the first blog entry I did, I kind of did that. I said, you know, the military stuff is really not right. They're not getting it right, and they could get it right because all they've got to do is you know, consult with some guy who's, who's had some military experience. You know, they get the saluting wrong. They get the, some of the other things wrong. For example, they didn't know that, that it is proper military protocol with a general officer to call him general rather than sir. And people in the military don't know that either, by the way. But I mean, the point is you could, you could slip these little things in which are going to raise your production costs whatsoever. You know, so I, you know, I look at the military aspects of it sometimes and, and nitpick that. But overall, you know, I'm intrigued by the program. Now, I had noticed here that they have this generic Air Force captain character that interacts with Heineck, and I wondered why they didn't just pick Captain Ruppelt, or maybe his family didn't want that to be done. Uh, I don't think that, that came into it. He's, he's really not Ruppelt, but he is sort of Ruppelt. And if you go back to the thing, Ruppelt was only there for, what, 18 months. And after that, you get a whole cast of Air Force officers who were extremely anti-saucer, anti-UFO. And Ruppelt, I think, may have had some of that anti saucer in him as well as you as you read some of his later correspondence and things like that but he's a generic officer Ruppelt I think was a bombardier radar officer during the second world war and this Quinn guy who is the air force captain he mentioned in one of the episodes they'd been in escort duties in in Europe which suggests he was a fighter pilot so you know in that respect he's not not Ruppelt Ruppelt had a, a degree in aeronautical engineering and this guy shows no um, <laughs> uh, aeronautical engineering background at all. Let's break here, guys. We'll continue talking about this and other subjects. Kevin, Gene, and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. 
Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. Virginia's governor promises to remain in office despite widespread calls for his resignation. Ralph Northam is trying to distance himself from a racist photo in his 1984 medical school yearbook. When I was confronted with the images yesterday, I was appalled that they appeared on my page, but I believe then and now that I am not either of the people in that photo. Northam still faces a chorus of people calling for his resignation. He says he hadn't seen the yearbook until the picture surfaced on Friday. He said he prematurely apologized. Virginia's two senators and former Governor Doug Wilder are now calling on him to resign. President Trump tweets that Northam's actions are unforgivable. You're listening to USA Radio News. Dish TV is better than cable TV. Why? Because you can save 45% on packages compared to your high-priced cable bill. Wow. Take those giant scissors out and cut the cable and save with Dish TV. Plus, you get a free DVR upgrade to record your favorite shows and free installation. And with Dish Anywhere, you can watch TV for free on your mobile device. Act fast. You can save hundreds of dollars. Does your cable company do that for you? I don't think so. Get all the best TV programming at your fingertips at a fraction of the price of cable TV. So say adios, arrivederci, goodbye to the high cable bill, and save up to 45% on Dish TV packages today. These are limited time offers and can change at any time. Call fast. 800-610-5739. 800-610-5739. 800-610-5739. That's 800-610-5739. The Genesis Communications Network is one of America's premier broadcasters of captivating talk radio. We thank you for listening. Now, just imagine, there are thousands of people who are just as passionate about radio as you are. But what you may not realize is how easy and affordable it is to advertise with us. Radio commercials for your business could be heard on hundreds of radio stations across the U.S. every day. We can help you by creating an effective radio advertising campaign for your company. From script writing to producing your commercial, just like the one you're listening to right now. No other network provides the level of customer service we do. When it comes to radio advertising, we are your one-stop shop. And no matter how big or small your business is, we can help. Email us at advertise at GCNlive.com. And an experienced advertising executive will help you take the first step towards driving more customers to your business or website. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Yes, the echo is part of the low-end special effects. I'll tell you what bothered me 
And the first episode that I saw, I saw part of the first episode, and I mean to pick up on my many more. This general character is played by a very well-known character actor who also played the demonic Damien Dark in The Arrow and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. And it's hard to, having seen him do that, to have now having seen him play a, a general, a, a character who's, you know, is a good guy. In that case, you should watch Band of Brothers because he's in Band of Brothers as one of the officers and he is a quite heroic character there. Um, and if you really want to get into it, the guy who plays Hynek was Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. You want to talk about a villain? Littlefinger is one of the bigger villains in Game of Thrones and thank God Zanza Stark got rid of him uh, in the last last season. So that's, I guess, why he was available to play Alan Hynek. I made some comment about that to Paul Hynek about Littlefinger. Oh, they were doing a, they were having a, um, a Comic-Con type program in, in LA where they were talking about, you know, they were promoting the program. They invited me out and I couldn't do it. But the guy who plays Alan Hynek was going to be there. So I said, well, tell Littlefinger I said hi. And Paul Hynek picked up on that right away. And he says, yeah, it's really kind of strange to have this really creepy guy playing my father. Meaning, you know, having played Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. So there you go. We've got another actor who's been well known in a role as kind of a villain playing the lead character as the good guy in uh, Project Blue Book. We also, of course, have the same guy playing former Vice President Dick Cheney and Batman. So, of course, if it's a good actor, they play heroic roles, they play villains. That's understandable. I think today also, people are not as typecast as they were years ago. So they can get away with this. You can accept the actor playing this particular type of role, knowing that they may be something totally different. But just the fact of the recent nature of this actor being so recognized over several years for one villainous character suddenly appears as the general and you get the sense of recognition but he's also playing a character in in project blue book who is not necessarily the nicest guy in the book you know he's hiding secrets from Heineck and he's giving orders that are well, actually, I think some of them may be un unlawful orders, but he's giving orders to uh, do certain things that are not necessarily on the up and up. So maybe he's, maybe he's playing toward uh, typecasting in that in that particular role, given given what he's doing in that program. Okay, so he's going to turn into Damien Dark in episode ten. Just want to warn you people to watch out for that. That's going to happen. I was thinking here to ask you about this. They're going back and forth in terms of the sightings. Do they treat the sightings concurrently as or something that he's looking at that happened a while back? I, I think they're just I think they're just bringing in the sightings and they don't really put a date in the program about when the sightings take place. So you can see them as sequential, even though they were not in reality. I think they're picking sightings that have some kind of excitement to them. And I like the child's witted sighting was basically a cigar shaped craft buzzing an airplane type thing, which wasn't all that exciting. But if you watch the beginning of the program, it looks like Heineck is actually on the airplane. And I wasn't sure about that. I asked Paul Heineck about it, as a matter of fact, because I had the impression he was kind of looking at it. If I'd been on the aircraft, this is what I may have seen type thing as he was going over the case file. It wasn't clear. And Paul Heineck said, well, if that's your interpretation that's as good as any so uh, no they're not really treating the the the, the events sequentially they're just 
dealing with a, a time period, which is the early 1950s, late 1940s, early 1950s um, in, in the program. So we really shouldn't look at it as sequential, but it's as the events as the events play out in this program are not necessarily the way they played out chronologically in, in the real world. Are they going to take this to a later time in Hynek's life, or is the series always going to be set in the early 50s? I think it's going to be dictated by uh, how well the series does and how long they have to go. If you go back to Game of Thrones, which I do frequently, uh, if you remember, there's a character that began season one, episode one, named Hodor. And all he could do was say Hodor, Hodor. And nobody understood that. And by the time you get to the fifth season, you find out how all of that came about and why he is yelling Hodor. Um, so, I, and, and what amazed me about that, to, to digress momentarily, is you set this thing up in the first season, and five seasons later, you actually explain the whole thing. So, what I'm saying is, sometimes you've got a, a, a plot that, that develops independently of where you want it to go, and sometimes you've got an image in your mind of where something is going to go. So, the answer to your question is, I don't know what they're going to do or how long they're going to take it, or if they're going to remain in the early 1950s, because it's setting up a nice contrast, because you've got some of the, the Soviet interference with the Project Blue Book investigation as it takes place in the 1950s now, in their world, in their environment, in the programming. And we have, in today's environment, all the discussion of Russian interference uh, with with our elections and I guess, life in the United States. So they've got kind of a parallel thing going there as well. But I think that I've, known, I, I've done this in, when I've written books, uh, in, in the, the fictional books. I've have, I have an idea of where the story is going to go. Sometimes it takes a turn that I did not expect, and it goes something somewhere else completely. As you're writing the book, it, it sort of dictates where you go. And sometimes you've got it all laid out and you follow the plan. So what I'm saying is I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> Well, back in the 50s, we were, if, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think we were still dealing with the Cold War. Yes. And if you've, if you've got something like a Russian re-entry coming in and being seen over the Americas by airline pilots, it's not inconceivable that there could be some sort of Russian involvement to uh, check out that case as well. I, I don't see it as that big of a stretch, and it's certainly part of the culture of the time. Well, absolutely. And as I say, you know, I actually queried them about this because I was a little bit annoyed at the, the Russian interference in, with Project Blue Book. But there were Russian spies running around loose in the United States in the 1950s. And part of, part of what they were attempting to do is uh, discover the secrets we had of the atomic bomb and that sort of thing. You know, how good is our Air Force? How uh, advanced are our fighter planes? What, where is our missile program going? That sort of thing was it critical intelligence for the Soviet Union. So they were engaged in espionage to learn those sorts of things back in the 1950s. So they're bringing that element into it. There was also a scene where uh, Mimi Hayek, um, I think at a hardware store, is buying a, a fallout shelter. And oh, right. Yeah, that's what they were doing. That was the big thing back in those days. And, and one of the things that uh, uh, in the last episode, she and the son Joel were going to go to some kind of a seminar about um, atomic uh, uh, atomic attack uh, that sort of thing and um Heineck tells him you know uh, you know 
the shelter's not going to protect you if an atomic bomb goes off nearby, which is absolutely correct but, the fall, correct, but the fallout shelters were not designed for that. They were to protect you from the fallout. And if you were at ground zero, you're pretty well screwed as anyway. Um, so, you know, but it was kind of a, a, a momentary byplay between the two. And then um, Heineck realized he needed to not say that because this is something that made them feel better, feel safer by engaging in that sort of activity. So, you know, yeah. But the, I, I guess the other point is, you know, they're bringing in these sorts of things that we would have looked at in the in the 1950s as critical to life in the United States. Sure. I mean, they even had uh, you know outdoor testing of nuclear bombs <laughs> where people were sitting on bleachers and you know from a great distance and watching them with dark lenses and and even stranger stuff that involved actual military people being part of those experiments. And now today, ironically, some of the fallout shelters, the survival shelters, are the abandoned missile bases. And I think we got, like, Peter Davenport lives in one. Hey, that's cool. I didn't <laughs> so, know that. Yeah, he's, at least last time I checked. Those. Let's break it here before we have some other kind of explosion. Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Jay, Randall Murphy, you're in the Paracast. Listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. You may need this herbal tea for relief right away, so write this down, drmillersclinic.com. If you take meds, then suffer stomach distress, constipation, indigestion, acid reflux, and bloating, and nothing else helps, get Dr. Miller's Holy Tea or Super Holy Tea, a cleansing, detoxifying herbal tea, now available at great rates direct from Dr. Miller's office. Call or click 888-660-7039 or drmillersclinic.com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. 
This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Know someone with a drinking or drug problem? Learn how to get sober after we share these stories. I was 35 with two beautiful children when my life and addiction started to spiral out of control. After my divorce, I went into a depression cycle and started drinking more often and using prescription drugs. After my second DWI and arrest, my ex-husband threatened to take our children away from me. I was 17 when I became addicted to heroin and meth. I thought I could quit on my own, but I couldn't. It hit me when I was arrested. Get sober now. Your private insurance may cover costs and we'll get you here. It's simple. Just call Elite Rehab Placement right now. Please, don't wait. Your life matters to us. 800-213-9264 Call right now before it's too late. 800-213-9264 Compliment your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, yeah, it's interesting here because Kevin and I, being, I guess, of similar ages, lived through the period where we had all this paranoia. And recreating the atmosphere is as important to a TV series, a period piece, as it is having fascinating plot lines, good acting, great action, that kind of thing. Well, one of the things that I noticed, in, and you won't see it much in movies today, but there's an awful lot of smoking going on back there. And in the first, my first blog column, I said something about it having an X-File vibe, and all you need is need was the smoking man. Well, everybody is smoking back in the 1950s, so that's you know uh, one of the and, and and it's the way things were. People smoked. You know, you'd see the advertisements, and people who were much younger than us don't remember the advertisement. Four out of five doctors who recommend cigarettes recommend. <laughs> you know, four out of five doctors recommending we smoke. I don't think so. But, you know, they're, so they, they're doing that sort of thing, too. They're bringing a real feel for the era back, which is, I guess, an incredibly difficult task. Well, maybe not so difficult today with uh, GCI and all of that. But, I mean, they've, they've done a nice job of recreating the um, atmosphere. And, in fact, Paul Hynek said uh, that people were asking, you know, is, did the, the house in the program where the Hynek's live, is that, is that like your house back in the 1950s? I don't think it is, but they're doing a nice job of, of all of that sort of thing, recreating the life of in the 1950s. And you, and you go back to 1951, 1952, how many people had television? Uh, oh, yeah, they, you'd be without cell phones. 
today, it, the cell phone is as much a part of many TV shows as the actors themselves. Remember in the X-Files, they were always talking back and forth to each other. And that was sort of in the more early days of the cell phone. Well, what, what's interesting, when as we were doing the run-up to go to Iraq, we all had our cell phones. And we were communicating amongst ourselves on cell phones instead of using anything else. And our battalion commander kept saying, you've got to stop doing that because we're not going to have the cell phones in Iraq. And we got to Iraq and we didn't have cell phones, but that was early in the war. Now they had this, by the time uh, we got done with our mission in Iraq, they they had the cell phone network uh, up and running there. But my wife and I will be watching a television program and we'll laughingly say, you know, why don't you get him on the cell phone? You know, instead of looking for <laughs> Just yeah. call him on the cell phone for crying out loud. Uh, I, you don't realize how important the cell phones have become to daily life until, you know, or you at look least at how ubiquitous. Like- I mean, it, they're everywhere. Back in those days, it was uh, you were on a, a landline. The phone rang. You had to turn the dial. I don't I don't even think in the 50s they had touch tone yet. No, I don't think. I think that was a 60s innovation. That's right. And some years before you got the phone with the touch tone because the phone company where you lived had to have the equipment to deal with it. And I, when I first got into broadcasting, I lived in some of these small towns in Alabama, Minnesota, etc. And we didn't quite have the touch tone there yet. It was a special service. They would charge extra for it. We forget what we take for granted today. You were mentioning TV sets before. In the early 50s, what I remember of it, we'd go to my Uncle Abe's house, which was about 10 blocks away in Brooklyn, New York, to watch his TV, a 10-inch TV. It wasn't until 1955 or 1956 when my parents managed to buy a TV set, the first one. That, I think, was a 21-inch set. And that was great 21-inch TV, the biggest thing on the planet. And it cost a few hundred dollars, which in today's dollars would have been several thousand. So we have to think about how our reality is so, so very different. As you say, with cellular phones, today, there are very few people in the world that don't have a smartphone. Apple says they have 1.4 billion devices activated not that they're all in service at the same time they're not the number one seller of smartphones in the world but total of their iphones and their ipads of course their macs and everything 1.4 billion activated 900 million in operation today you have to go to a pretty poor country before people don't have access to some kind of smartphone they're like the mcdonald's of cell phones one billion devices activated. <laughs> but the, the other thing you forgot to mention is that your 21-inch black and white, your TV would have been in black and white, not color. You had three channels if you were lucky. If you lived in bigger cities, you might have four and uh, the educational channel. And 21 inches was the biggest the picture tube could support until later in the 60s. You can get up to a 25-inch television set. Now, if you've got something under 32 inches, you're in bad shape um 55 inches 65 inches and the color is extraordinary the other thing i wanted to say about the cell phones if you remember the 1960s and star trek with their communicators my cell phone is better than their communicator because i have access to all human knowledge on my cell phone they couldn't even do that with their communicators in the 23rd century they're doing that in the mid 60s oh by the way i looked this up 
a $250 TV set in 1955 would be $2,343.59 in 2019. You mentioned, Kevin, the 32-inch set. That's the one for $199 at Walmart, by the way, or even $149. Oh, you can get them cheaper than that. If you shop around and they're they're you know getting rid of their excess inventory, uh, you can get a. I, I think at the Walmart the other day it was a sixty-five inch for like five ninety nine, six ninety nine. It's you know not the newest version of the big color TV, but that's a hell of a big color TV for that kind of a price. Uh, okay, thirty two inch set, thirty two inch set. This is HD, not four K, eighty nine ninety nine. At Walmart. This is not a special sale. This is free pickup and everything. The prices go up to about $140 or so. Uh, There's one for $265, a Samsung. Well, of course, it's a premium set. Samsung tends to make premium sets. So that's the price range. Now, if you go to a 4K TV, I'm just going to do this and then, then drop out here. 4K TV. Let's just hit 4K TV from Walmart. And the prices start. At just over two hundred dollars, yeah, it's, and and the picture quality is incredible. It's almost sharp enough that you get a three D effect without having to have glasses or anything else. I mean, you get, it's an incredible picture. Hey, if you're sitting close enough, I mean, if you're some distance away, even if you're you know ten or fifteen feet away from your television at an HD, you know, nineteen twenty, ten eighty type of thing, you you can't detect the pixels. So I don't know how good it needs to be, but that's definitely the way that it's going. So, you know, but, you know, they're using telephones back then. There was a scene where Heineck was on a on a phone and I'm using and I I shot at the TV. Why aren't why don't you use your cell phone for crying out loud? It's much easier. And and we do. I said my wife and I do that all the time. Calling them on the cell phone. (laughs) Well, one of the things that's kind of cool about uh, these types of shows and you had made an allusion to the X-Files previously, is that we're talking about culture. And part of ufology, I'd say the biggest part of ufology is the cultural component when you start to add up everything that's there. And one of the things I really loved about the X-Files, especially watching it from the beginning, is it has all these little allusions to different paranormal phenomena and uh, my thing is ufos so at the beginning when they had the uh, event take place at ellen's air force base of course that's an anagram for nellis air force base and so if if you knew that you could pick up on these little things and go hey that's really cool instead of going oh why isn't it you know a perfect documentary it actually i think in some respects can add to the appeal of the show Well, I know as a writer that I sometimes put in jokes that people won't get. And I was doing a a series of books on the Vietnam War. And at one point, uh, there's a glossary in the back. And as a joke, I put in the term horse. And then I put sea biscuit. Sea biscuit was a horse. Of course. Yes. And then if you go to biscuit, it would say, well, it's food. But, you know, it was terms I made up. But the the joke Uh was horse. And then it says C-S-E-E biscuit, sea biscuit. (laughs) The other thing we did, I was writing a book uh, called Remember the Alamo with Bob Cornett. And we were actually at a science fiction convention in Minneapolis when we were working on part of this book. And I wrote the line, waters rushed up the hill. And Bob said, you can't say that. And I said, why? Nobody will ever get it. Character's name was Tom Waters. So I said, Waters rushed uphill. 
And I don't think anybody ever, has ever mentioned that to me about this character, who, you know, this, this line about waters rushed uphill. And I think writers do that sort of thing an awful lot. These, there's inside jokes that if you're really in tune to what's going on, you can pick up on some of that stuff. They and call it also Easter eggs. And they have that sometimes in TV shows that have lots of fans, devoted fans, where they throw things in there that a small number of those people will recognize. We recognize Kevin Randall. We recognize Gene Steinberg sometimes. <laughs> and Jay Randall Murphy, you're in. The Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Kevin Randall. Not good enough? That's excellent, Kevin Randall. (laughs) Gene and Randall Murphy. So it's like, I got the double Randall here. I've got a Randall middle name and a Randall last name. So it sounds like a band. The Double Randalls. Is that like Why a rock Randall's band? Why are Randalls always the villains, though? You know, like in Monsters, Inc., Randall is the evil lizard that, that changes color and shape. Interesting character. And in Outlander, I think it's Randall is, is also the evil person in, in, the, uh, in the past that the character goes back to. Sometimes I feel like I'm getting a little shortchanged with this name, but, <laughs> you know... 
How about you, Kevin? The, the problem I have is spelling Randall R-A-N-D-L-E. And you go to fill out a form or whatever, and people are filling out for me, and you spell the name for them. I always go R-A-N-D-L-E, and they will write down R-A-N-D-A-L-E. They always got to put an extra A in there for some reason. Yeah, and that would be wrong for me in, on both accounts. So I've, I've got it <laughs> the same way, too. I get, well, mine ends in A-L-L, Randall. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. Now, if, okay, so if we go back to ufology here for a minute, and we're talking about the Zond reentry, looking a lot like the object seen in the Wethead case, that reminds me a lot of the Fox Lake sighting. Now, uh, are you familiar with that one? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Oh, okay, because I, I was going to see if I could get your opinion on that, but that was uh, a bunch of people in the Yukon. Uh, claimed that they saw a football field-sized UFO near Fox Lake in Canada's Yukon Territory, and they described rows of multicolored lights, said that the craft blocked out the stars and shot beams of light down onto the ground. And at some time later, there was some people that found that there was a re-entry of a Russian spacecraft of some kind that would burnt up in the atmosphere, and they figured that that's what it probably was. And yet it doesn't explain all of the accounts. So does, does Chile's Wethead case, are all of the facets of that case explained adequately by a bolide? Yes. They saw it in the distance coming toward their aircraft as a bright light. Uh, they're at 5,000 feet, and then it flashes by them to the side. And it looks like it has a lighted cockpit and a number of square windows and then a flame out the back. Right. And, and it was in sight for five seconds or, or seven seconds, something like that. And then it seemed to climb up into the clouds. But I think that's an optical illusion based on the where the cloud deck was as they were flying along. If you go take a look on YouTube, there used to be something called Meteor Compilation. I think it was three minutes and 19 seconds. And what somebody had done was put together all these videos of the people had gotten of, of meteor falls and you would see the things breaking up and in a number of them it looked like as it broke up it would look like you had a bright cockpit and then a number of windows behind it and if you've caught that for just a second out of the corner of your eye or just not get a really good look at it as, as your mind perceives this that's the thing you think of you think of a cockpit and square windows if you look at the the zon 4 re-entry no we know what it was because a lot of other people saw it and knew what was going on but you had a, a group of people scattered around who thought that it was some kind of an aircraft airplane crash or something like that and they were drawing a bright cockpit-like uh, area with a number of square windows and a flame out the back. I mean, it was a perfect match. Well, the, the drawings are similar. Let's put it that way. Not a perfect match, but the drawings are similar to what uh, uh, Childs and Witted had written down uh, or drawn for the Air Force investigators right after their sighting. The other thing is, if you go back and you read the Air Force file on it, when Ch Childs and Witted were interviewed, neither one of them said anything about turbulence or rocking the airplane. But later on in the news, newspaper accounts, they said, well, there was turbulence as the thing flashed by. Well, there was no turbulence because it was a meteor and it was far, far away. And since it was early in the morning, you know, there weren't a lot of people who have seen that, that, that uh, fall. So I think that, you know, in, in that case, with Childs and Witted, that is a perfect solution for that case. I mean, the facts fit 
the case. And I, I think we can eliminate that case. Although in 1948, it was a case that disturbed the military because, well, they, because were, they were dealing with rockets, right? And so this thing is like but, kind of like a rocket. It looked like a rocket, and they weren't as familiar with what meteor falls look like and that sort of thing. I mean, our scientific knowledge has increased exponentially since that time, and we, we can see it now for, for what it was. But at that time, it, it disturbed them because here were two experienced pilots. They, I think they'd both been in the, uh, uh, the Army Air Forces during the Second World War, and they were two experienced pilots, so they were observers who, who – should have been able to tell what they were looking at. So that disturbed them greatly. I think in today's environment, we'd look at that and say, yeah, it's pretty much clear that it was a re-entry, um, uh, or not a re-entry, but a, the fall of a, of a meteorite. Um, so uh, I, I think that case is explained in that way. And I think that when we look at some of these older cases, we see explanations that make sense today for us that they couldn't have come up back in, in 19 in, in the early 1950s or the late 1940s just because our scientific knowledge is advanced to the point where we can recognize some of these things and sometimes it's just a matter i think of incompetence the um once you got past the rupelt years in uh, project blue book there was a real attitude that there was no such thing as flying saucers so they were just investigating was- them as public relations as opposed to really solving a case that was because of the whole Robertson panel thing where it became a policy pretty much to downplay UFOs as much as possible. And any ones that couldn't be explained were not to be discussed with the public. The Air Force really. regulations pointed that out. The Air Force regulations said if you have an explanation, you are free to express it to the press. You know, this was an airplane. This was birds. This was whatever. If you cannot identify it, then your answer to the press is you, they need to talk to the public affairs office at the Pentagon. And they would release information about it. That's a, that was in the regulations. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, Rupelt, he took great exception to having to ridicule his own pilots if necessary. And it wasn't long after that that he was either transferred or reassigned. I don't know whether he did it voluntarily or they arbitrarily said, okay, well, we want you off this project. Do you know the details about his actual leaving? I think it was just, he was, uh, after 18 months at at Project Blue Book, he was due to, uh, for another assignment. I'll tell you one thing, if I was Rupelt, I would have been pissed with getting the assignment to Project Blue Book. Here I am, I'm a combat veteran from World War II, I'm recalled to active duty for the Korean War, and what do you do? You put me in this little crappy office to investigate flying saucers for crying out loud. I've been recalled to active duty to do this and, and, and put my life on hold, and I got to go out and play with flying saucers? Are you kidding me? I would have been really annoyed and I would have been agitating to get a, a different assignment back into the combat area. I wouldn't want to be left out of the, uh, out of the war. Uh, now, it's interesting, well, he- too, about Rupelt. Was he, did he know he was ill? Well, it was a blue book because it wasn't too many years later before he died of a heart attack. He was in his late 30s, as I recall. I or maybe it little, it's just the way it was in those that. days. I think he was a little older than that. I don't think it was late 30s, but he died very young of a heart attack. You are absolutely correct on that. But I don't think he was ill during Project Blue Book. I'm no, looking, I'm looking here, him. by the way, about Rupelt. He was 37. Oh, he was, though. He, he was, was 30. That's the same I, age, I, I, by the way. I think the same age as Bobby Darren when he died of a heart condition. But that was several years after Rupelt was involved with Project Blue Book. Yeah, he, I think it was 1960, wasn't it? He died yeah. in 1960. 
Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think. I. I. I don't think there was. I don't think he was ill while he was at Project Blue Book. I think that. Uh, and 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 he attempted to, I guess, organize it so that it was more of an investigative organization than it was uh, the, the. Uh, well, we'll just uh, play, paying lip service to the investigative aspects of it. He tried to um, bring um, a, a little bit of expertise to it. Well, he's the one who hired Heineck. No, Heineck was on yeah. board to sign. Heineck, uh, I think Heineck came aboard on in sign. We've got more to come, and we'll figure this out. We'll sort all this out. Or not. We've got Randall, Kevin, and Gene. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen. My name is Ellis, and I'm 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused, knowing the negative side effects. Heart and Body Extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level. Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Many people believe they don't control their own destiny. Let them continue just getting by while you make the choice to do something about your future. Imagine working from home, earning the income you deserve. Just visit startlivingyoung.com and click on the Be Your Own Boss tab. Discover Juness, a state-of-the-art global health company with over a billion a year in sales. They'll provide all the tools you need to succeed. Visit startlivingyoung.com today and click on the Be Your Own Boss tab. Your destiny awaits at startlivingyoung.com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do 
do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNLife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNLife.com or call toll free 844-443-6637. That's GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, we're trying to sort out here, Dr. Heinick. I agree with you, Kevin. It was before Project Blue Book. He was with them quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. But so was Ruppelt himself when he got back into it in 1950. And then he took over Project Grudge in 51. And that's when he hired Heineck. So, yeah, it would have been before Blue Book, but not before Ruppelt. And then Ruppelt headed Blue Book until late 1953. I think Heineck came on when it was still Project Signed. He may have been consulted, but, well, a, yeah, you know, but as, as an official person with it like i've done some research into it as well and this is the best that i can find i've been looking over the wikipedia on ed rupel now he apparently he joined the project in late 51 and then in 53 apparently he requested reassignment from blue book he requested reassignment just as a reference point of reference i think part of that is what Ruppelt wrote about it himself and also Jerry Clark's research for his UFO encyclopedia. Well, if Jerry Clark said it, I'm, I'll, I'll believe what Jerry Clark says because, you know, he has gone into great depth on this. But uh, Ruppelt investigated the um, Lubbock Lights, and that was, as it, when he started, it was still um, Project Grudge, so that would have been 51. Uh, Lubbock Lights was, I think, uh, August, September of 1951. And Ruppelt was down there as a I think he was actually only a lieutenant at the time. And the one thing that I remember about that in in reading the file is that uh, he tried to intimidate Carl Hart Jr. to see if he would admit that he had hoaxed the thing. I mean, what he was attempting to do was learn, learn whether or not it was a hoax and suggesting to Hart that, you know, if you're. Tell, you're not telling the truth here that you can be in big trouble for it. So if Hart, Hart had faked the photographs, Hart would admit it at that point. Uh, the, the other thing is I talked to Hart in what, I think 1953, because I was in Lubbock doing research on, uh, on the Roswell case. And on a lark, I looked Hart's name up in the, in the Lubbock phone book and it was there. I couldn't believe it. So I called him. And uh, we chatted about the, the sighting for a while, and he told me that uh, he still didn't know what he'd photographed. 
And I think that, you know, that that speaks a little bit to the authenticity of the photograph simply because we know that teenage boys and Hart was 19 when he took the pictures, teenage boys who fake UFO photographs eventually come clean. They tell us, yeah, I, I made that up. I faked that stuff. I think there was some out of um, Michigan, a sort of a oval shaped craft with an antenna on the rear that Hynek really liked. And it uh, came out later that the, the boys who took the photographs had faked them. But, and, uh, the, you know, you hear that all the time. And so if, if uh, Hart uh, had faked the photographs, I think by 1993, he would have been in his 60s. There would have been no r- r- ramifications for faking the photographs if he'd faked them or knew what they were. I think he'd have told I think he'd have told me or he'd have told somebody else um, when they talked about it. So, I, you know, that, that to me speaks volumes about the authenticity of the photographs. At least Hart didn't fake them. Doesn't mean they're alien spacecraft, means he didn't fake them. Something what bothers I me, I guess, over the okay. years is the fact that there are really so few clear UFO photos. And lights in the sky can be anything. You've got to coordinate them with someone's eyewitness testimony. Today, it's so easy to fake a UFO you can hardly take them seriously. But with all the sightings out there, nowadays we understand with ubiquitous smartphones because everybody's looking down. Even when they cross the street, they're looking down. But back in those days, when you just had these basic Kodak cameras and such, or a Polaroid or something, I kind of wonder why there aren't more pictures. Well, because you weren't carrying your camera around. You know, everybody's got a camera in their smartphone, too. But they don't think to take it out. <laughs> well, no, they didn't see the lights because they were looking at the smartphone. But, uh, you know, there, um, there are some interesting photographs. There's a, uh, the movie taking in Montana in 1951 by Nick Mariana that I don't think has been adequately explained. Doesn't mean it's an alien spacecraft. I mean, it's been, not been adequately explained. Um, there was the film taken in Tremonton, Utah, by the Navy Ward officer, uh, Delbert Newhouse, who I talked to at one point, uh, years later, of course. Um, and he said that, you know, the, the spots on the film that you see, and you can, you can look it up on new, YouTube and see the film. It's, you know, the Newhouse film or the Nick Mariana film. You can see those on, on uh, YouTube in today's world, but uh, he said that the object had moved off a great deal from where they were when they first spotted him. By the time he got the car stopped, he got his camera out of the trunk. He managed to get the film in the camera and started filming. Uh, they had moved off a great deal of distance, and so you couldn't really see the, uh, the shape of them. They're just lights in the sky. The only thing that worries me about that is, I think Ruppelt said this as well, that uh, seagulls, he would, studying seagulls out in California, and they looked an awful lot like the images on the uh, on the film that uh, Newhouse had taken. There's a um, music video, Hadaway doing What is Love on the KM Music Channel. The only reason I bring this up, because it's there's some girls dancing in the foreground, and you see these white lights go across in the background that looks for exactly like the, the images on the Tremonton film. And one of them comes down close and you can see the wings flapping and you realize that it's a gull. But the, the, the image on that film just struck me as looking an awful lot like the film that New, Newhouse took. But with the Mariana film, you don't have that sort of uh, problem. And there's foreground detail for you to look at and all of that. So, I mean, you've got to take a look at all of that and you've got to look at it in today's environment. Uh, it's so easy to fake anything uh, a 10-year-old kid with a computer can make an incredible computer 
generated image to be difficult to tell from the real thing that has been artificially manipulated. Russ Estes had done, uh, oh, back uh, quite a number of years ago, had done a, a film like that. He made the UFO look really, really obviously faked so that it would never, ever be ex uh, suggested it was real, but he wanted to demonstrate how easy it was in the environment with the computers that he had and the equipment he had and the knowledge he had to make a really good um, uh, film of a of a UFO. And he even did the the oh my god, what is that type of you know type of narration for it? Uh, the image of the UFO was done so that it could never be mistaken for a real thing. But you know the point simply is in the day's environment is very simple to do that. Back 50, 60 years ago, people didn't carry their cameras around. Uh, some people were loath to shoot anything like that because film was expensive and you had to get it developed. It wasn't like a digital camera where you can take hundreds of thousands of pictures and put them on your computer for no cost at all. And so there's you know all kinds of things that came into play in the 1950s. The um, McMinnville photograph of the disc. There were two, I think they took two pictures, and then they didn't get it developed right away because there was still film left and they didn't want to waste the film. So, I mean, it, it, it's a different way of thinking about photographing stuff in that environment as well. Not to mention, you know, as you said, people aren't looking up. They're looking down at their phones and walking into streetlights and falling over uh, hedges. And I'll tell you what I also see, which troubles me. We're not troubled with Kevin Randall. J. Randall Murphy, Gene Steinberg, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. The United States of Empire is a book that claims the United States is the empire of the world. George Washington had warned us against foreign wars. The United States of Empire shows that World Wars I and II left England broken. Its former colony, the U.S., had to save the empire. Was there ever a vote? Who do we fight for? The deep state began with World War I. The United States of Empire by James Dunn. Available at Amazon Books. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blockit Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. USA Radio News with Wendy King. The governor of Virginia is under fire, first because of comments he made in support of allowing late-term abortions when the fetus is unable to survive after birth. Then, a photo surfaced of him and another person dressed in blackface and a KKK robe from when he was in medical school. WTKR-TV's Margaret Kavanaugh reports. The governor acknowledges the hurt inflicted by the picture, but says but in his video message that he does not want to step down. And I am ready to do the hard work of regaining your trust. I have spent the past year as your governor fighting 
for Virginia that works better for all people. The governor came under a firestorm of criticism this week after he talked about late-term abortions. During this interview, he claims he was describing a medical situation in rare circumstances and says his comments were taken out of context. You're listening to USA Radio News. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-561-5716. That's 800-561-5716. Again, 800-561-5716. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? 92 thousand dollars. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. So we have people crossing the street and they look down at their smartphones and I do a little the ride sharing Lyft Uber stuff. So I get to see people because I have to avoid hitting them when I'm taking a rider from one destination to another. The other phenomenon I see, unfortunately, is people not recognizing what I was taught when I was a child, which is when you cross the street, look both ways. And I see so many people just walk oblivious to everything forget about the smartphone they're looking straight ahead they're hoping or praying the driver will recognize them in time before crushing them to smithereens i saw someone get their life saved by a person on the sidewalk because someone just came along they were looking down at their phone they went to step out and they went to step out right in front of a bus but this person just grabbed the back of their coat and pulled them back onto the sidewalk that's how close it was what has happened to society well, I now they're talking you. about giving people t- fines for walking and do- working your cell phone. Pedestrian fines for using your cell phone while walking downtown. You know, and, but, and, and at first it sounds kind of humorous, but I mean, think of a crowded city street. I mean, people can get killed. Well, the worst thing I've ever seen, and it doesn't really involve a, a cell phone, is some guy with a portable DVD player sitting on the dashboard of his car as you're driving down the interstate at 75 miles an hour. 
and he's got a DVD player. Oh, right. The movie. Yeah, not not just sound, but yeah, watching. Yeah, he's watching. Yeah. He's watching the damn movie. Catching up on the latest episode, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, reality show. <laughs> Him being chased by the police or something. Who knows? <laughs> You know, what you're saying is so true about uh, fake videos on our forum. We actually, uh, I have to give a shout out to David Vincent on our forum here, who uh, uh, we get into it once in a while, but he actually pulled up uh, a video called Utah UFO Solved. Now, I'm not sure if you've run across this Utah UFO, but it was uh, a case where some filmmakers who were operating a drone claimed that they had picked up a UFO on hd camera of their drone and it's been going back and forth on the forum i was kind of skeptical because of the way the object seemed to bank in kind of an aerodynamic way whereas ufos don't necessarily do that at least not what we would think of as alien craft and so he dug around and dug around and uh, so did i and he came up with it first and posted it on the forum and the way that the guy explains how it was faked it makes perfect sense but I wouldn't know otherwise. You need to be an expert these days to be able to tell the difference. Well, sometimes it's obvious, too. Um, there was a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, there was two guys in New Jersey who wanted to prove how credulous UFO witnesses were and UFO investigators were. So they taught, attached the railroad flares to balloons. And what struck me about this whole thing was the witnesses described exactly what they saw. And they were, they were, they showed uh, one of the videos on um, one of the news programs and you can see the light flickering and, and the, the dripping. Yeah. No, no, no. The light was just flickering. And the okay. woman and, and the, the host said, you know, well, you know, are they flashing their lights? And she said, no, it's passing behind trees. And so it was blocking out it momentarily. So it looked like it was flickering. And one of them, one of them, you know, that looked like the object just shot off into actually New, the New York City area. It just sort of disappeared, vanished over in just an instant. And and uh, I think the uh, it might have been Mark D'Antonio, D'Antonio um, of Mufon said, "Yeah, the uh, flare burned out." But then the guys, because they weren't getting the sort of reaction they wanted, uh, they interjected themselves into the experiment by going out to interview people. And, and, and one of them was saying, well, yeah, we went out to get pizza and the thing came down and buzzed our car, which they were trying to get people to, to open up about what they'd seen. And the worst I saw was a reporter talking to a little girl sucking on a lollipop. Says, what do you think of the aliens? Nobody had mentioned aliens to the point of that reporter talking to a kid. And I thought, talk about lousy journalism but it came out it came out eventually that they were they thought they'd proved their experiment that that um ufo investigators were credulous but there was a police officer who identified it that night said we we think it's probably railroad flares and i think mark antonio said that uh, when he was shown the footage he said it's either chinese lanterns or a railroad flare attached to a balloon so i mean within moments of looking at the footage the, the mufon guy didn't say, oh, my God, this is the greatest film we've ever had. He explained what it was. Some of the people who saw what it was, the witnesses were explaining exactly what they had seen as opposed to interpreting it. The news media were in, was interpreting it for everybody, and these two guys were injecting themselves into the story by trying to make it better than it was. And well, the, point, the point is that the witnesses were not credulous. 
the investigators were not credulous. The news media certainly was. And uh, the guys running the experiment tainted the, their experiment by injecting themselves into it to change the, the course because they were not getting the results they wanted. They wanted to prove that UFO investigators were credulous. Right. And what they were proving is that they were very careful in what they were doing, much better than they would have been, uh, the UFO investigators, what better than they were 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. They were looking at the data. They were not trying to find a flying saucer in every sighting. They were trying to find out what was seen and can we explain it in terrestrial terms. So the experiment failed in that respect. Yeah, that's the, uh, you know, that's the skeptics injecting their own bias into it. And they can be just as guilty as some of the people who are, I guess, the wide-eyed believers, I suppose. Well, you look at Philip Class. Uh, coming up with explanations for sightings that just make no sense whatsoever. Uh, take the Socorro landing. We had Lonnie Zamora saw the spacecraft la land uh, in April of 1964 and then take off. Class uh, said, well, what was going on was the mayor of the town owned the property where the UFO landed, and he was trying to generate some kind of tourist attraction that would make the land more valuable. Yeah, right, and just hired Lonnie Zamora to. Well, talk Lonnie Zamora was a police officer. No, Lonnie <laughs> Zamora was a police officer, so he was the mayor was his boss. So he got Lonnie Zamora to go along. Oh, with I see. Okay, but but of the course. thing is, but the thing is, somebody actually went and looked at the tax records and found out the mayor didn't own the land. It was owned by by the estate of some woman, and whose name escapes me. Um, and the idea of a tourist attraction didn't come about until a year after it, where the city council says, maybe we can do something with this. So class's explanation didn't work. And yet, you know, there was an explanation for the, for the case that made some of the skeptics happy. And, and you can look at any number of skeptical solutions. And class was great for coming up with solutions that had no relevance to the facts. And, and so you're absolutely correct when you say, you know, the skeptics are as bad as the true believers at the other end of the spectrum. The, uh, not the skeptics, but the debunkers as opposed to the true believers. I mean, the, the very opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. You know, skept we need skepticism when we're looking at UFO sightings. We need skepticism to be throughout the investigations to make sure that we're following the right path and we're not somehow being diverted into uh, one, one camp or another. We want to know what the answer is as opposed to this was a flying saucer or this was not a flying saucer. We want to know what the actual answer is. And Absolutely. So I'm not the least bit upset about a debunking if it happens to be reasonable and true and makes sense that they're doing us a favor. No problem. And I completely have to agree with you that skepticism is essential if you're going to be a serious ufologist. Hey, have you got time for some questions from our forum people? Absolutely. All right. We've got one from Farla Goldstein. As a change of pace, please have some discussion on your book, Conversations, A Study in Hypnosis and Past Life Regression. Now, he says, evidently, a woman thought she'd suffered an abduction experience and contacted you y and yes. a hip hypnotist and had several sessions. Yes. And according to the book, the sessions appeared to indicate that the woman had past lives. And he asked, what do you think about hypnotized people tellings of supposed past lives? Well, first of all, thank you for finding that book. I do not know why that book has not done better because I, if nothing else, I always thought it was a good read. It's kind of an exciting book and it brings in a lot of interesting things, um, especially uh, looking at the, the history of serial killers and that sort of thing. It's a book that I thought should have done a lot better than it, than it did. 
But he's absolutely right. That's what happened. A woman had contacted me who believed that she had been abducted, and it was freaking her out. And I'll tell you what, the some- advertisers Pardon will me? freak out if we don't do our break right now. Ah. Kevin, Gene Randall, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. 
We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. 1-800-959-5759. Anytime, anyplace, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business. One of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. This is Kurt Southern, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. Okay, we're talking about hypnosis, hypnotic regression, abductions. Kevin Randall, go ahead, please. As I was saying, the you know the book Conversations was about this woman who came, who who contacted me and thought she'd been abducted, and this was in the the 1990s, and it was a point where that was how you did uh, abduction research. You got a hypnotist and took that you used that that person's expertise to kind of elicit the the details of of the abduction right like assisted memory recall yeah and and so um he and i had uh discussed what we were going to do up front so that we we were very careful not to lead the discussion and realizing you have to be very careful in asking the questions because even what seemed like the most innocuous question could lead the the subject into a direction that we didn't want to we didn't want to do that we want to be very careful with our questioning and we were um had her had her we visited her at her house and her family was gone so we for the for the evening so we could conduct the hypnotic regressions and as we got done with one of the sessions uh, um and i forget now exactly how the question was phrased but it came out that she was now in a past life and as we continued to talk to her about this it became clearer and clearer that she was touching on memories that she shouldn't have or information she shouldn't have in in today's world 2019 there's so much information bombarding you that you pick up bits and pieces of it without even realizing it. And, and the best example I have is, I, was, I think I was watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, one of the shows, and the question was about what was um, Hank Hill's occupation. I never watched the program, um, King of the Hill, but somehow I knew that it had to do with propane. The point is, you know, the information sort of out there in the osmosis, and I had sucked it up some way. Back back then, you know, it wasn't quite as prevalent and easy to do that. So we were being very careful about that. And it ended up talking to her. And it seemed that she was remembering a time where she was working with Jack the Ripper, of all things. And so in today's environment, you could look at all this stuff very carefully and find it very easily. Back then, it would take an awful lot of library research to get it. And she was she was coming up with things that I'd never heard of. And we would go back and research it at the uh, University of Iowa Library in their bound periodicals and all the 
the materials they had there. And she was giving us some information that was really obscure and shouldn't have been available to her unless she had been doing the research. And we continued on with, with that, getting all sorts of, um, of interesting information from her. In today's world, you know, I worry about the efficacy of hypnotic regressions because we now know more so than we did then how easy it is to lead someone and how there's a phenomenon known as pleasing the operator, which means the subject wants to give answers that the the, uh, hypnotist is kind of searching for. And I know if you go back and you read some of Bud Hopkins' transcripts, you can see him very, very subtly, and I, I don't think Bud Hopkins realized he was doing it. You can see him in his questions subtly um, um, nudging people in a specific direction. John Mack commented on that, saying that he was surprised at how the abductees seemed to find the abduction researcher whose um, research was taking him in a specific direction. In other words, the people who had an Eastern philosophy found John Mack. The people who had cold calculating alien abductees were finding Bud Hopkins, and those who were involved in this hybrid experimentation were finding um, David Jacobs. I kept wanting to say David Temple because he taught at Temple in uh, Pennsylvania. Right. So the suggestion is that these people are sort of seeking out the particular well, therapist no, the- they most identify with. Yes, and and of course the flip of that was no, the operator was actually subtly feeding them the information they want and getting what they want out of the sessions, and, and so we have to be careful of that. So we were looking for abduction, and all of a sudden this woman is giving us a past life regression, and we were able to explore that, and that's what that's what conversations is about, and that's why I chose the title conversations as opposed to investigations or something more dramatic, you know, conversations with this woman. But but the point is, she was having trouble sleeping. She was having she was having some real stress in her life because of these images. And if nothing else, we were able to uh, remove that stress from her life and calm her down. And we left it. We didn't tell her. We didn't let her listen to the sessions. We didn't tell her what we'd found in the sessions um, after each one because we didn't want to influence the next one. And we said, when we're done, when we're finished with the, with the research here, you know, you can have access to everything. It's, it's yours. Uh, and, and you can look at it if you want, or, you know, or you can ignore it if you want. But we'll be found out that she wasn't really being abducted and that somebody had kind of told her that's what the problem was. And we were able to um, eliminate that. And we were able to sort of, um, eliminate these nightmarish images she was having as well. And that I think, if nothing else, we accomplished that. But it was a, a very interesting time. And I always thought the book should do better than it did because I thought, if nothing else, it's kind of an exciting book that gives you a look at this history of serial killers and some of these other things that, that are related to um, past life regressions. I don't know in today's world, I, you know, I don't know how she would have known some of the things that she did if it was, like I said, if it was 2019 that this was going on. Um, and we have access to everything now very easily. You just have to figure out the right question to ask to get the answers to, to what you want to do. But at that time, um, 
you know, the, the information wasn't that easily available. You had to really search to find it. And there's no indication she was searching to find the information. So I'm, you know, I, I, in my very skeptical mode, I say that there was something else going on that she was getting the information somewhere else. She may not have been searching it out, but she was drawing on some something somewhere that, that she knew. Or, you know, if you want to be more, you want, you want to take a more believer point of view she was accessing these past memories i just you know it's one of those things i don't have a real good answer for but it's an interesting story and i'm glad that somebody actually read that book thank you and please put a nice review up on amazon (laughs) i like how you're certainly non-committal about the idea that it was an actual past life because even if a person is uh having what they believe are memories of events that can be verified that they shouldn't know about, that still doesn't necessitate that they're accessing a memory from a past life. I, th- I think there's a lot of problems with just that idea. At best, all that we can do is say that there's been some sort of information transfer take place, and we don't know how it happened. Now, the uh, other thing I want to ask point. here, one thing that, I want to ask, was, Kevin, before Well, let me, let me just say this. Let me just say this, that, that the thing is, I could find the information to verify it. And if I could find it, then then she could have gotten to it somehow as well. There's no indications that she did anything like that. Um, and as I said, I was using the resources of the University of Iowa Library. So you know, I had access to that. But anybody who can walk into the building and have access to the, the University of Iowa. So, yeah, there was some kind of information transfer going on. I could never find the link. But as I say, the thing that, that that we have to keep in mind is if I could find the information to verify what she was saying, then it would be possible for her to find it as well. So there we are. Gene, you were about to say something there. Yeah, it's possible. I thought in some cases, maybe someone in her family was talking about it. They read something. You see, the first time I heard about this past life stuff was when Long John Neville was talking with the author of The Search for Bridie Murphy, which is one of the classic cases of so-called pre-life memories or reincarnation. But I tend to think here, that always seemed to me a stretch. Why, even if the information is accurate, somebody lived years ago, meeting the description that came up in these strange memories or hypnotic regressions, that doesn't mean that it's reincarnation. It means that, as you would suggest, it's tapped into information that was available. Also, when it comes to reincarnation, the logic seems strange here, which is if you have to come back because you didn't fulfill your goals or you were not a good enough person, if you don't remember what you did wrong, aren't you destined to repeat the same thing again? A point of logic. We got more to come with Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy 
We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Pain in my neck, back, and shoulders has really gotten worse. Relief for body pain is here with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Well, the last thing I want is to take another pill. So what's so good about Sunny Bay Heating Pads? Sunny Bay Heating Pads, made by Biomed DB Design right here in the USA, come in all sizes. Our extra-large microwavable heating pad for back pain is designed to be large enough to cover your entire back. It's also perfect to wrap around your legs, knees, or shoulder and neck. But I need to know they're good quality. Of course, Sunny Bay heating pads and pillows are often an Amazon choice and it's easy and most affordable when you purchase your Sunny Bay heating pads right from our website sunshinepillows.com or call us 253-678-1361 Hey, a Sunny Bay heating pad would make a great gift, right? Yes, and they start at just $19.99 and free shipping is available. So call 253-678-1361 or shop for your Sunny Bay heating pad at sunshinepillows.com Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. From UFOs to reincarnation. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure if it's if, if it actually is a question. It's more of a statement, but maybe just looking for a response. The question says, Kevin's wiki page says he retired from the Iowa National Guard as a lieutenant colonel. Have they got that right? Or, you know, why would they ask that or post that, do you think? Well, I did retire from the Iowa National Guard as a lieutenant colonel. But the, I think uh, civilians who have not had much association with the military don't understand how these things work. Because when I joined, I joined the Army, I'm not going to tell you how long ago, but it was a long, long time ago. Uh, to fly helicopters. And I was taught to fly helicopters. I had a tour in Vietnam as a helicopter pilot. And then we had what was called a reduction in force, which forced a lot of us, a civilian helicopter pilots out of the army. Uh, I say civilian, I mean, we were brought in to fly helicopters. I was, I left the army as a chief warrant officer. I went to the University of Iowa. And while I was there, the Air Force ROTC program said, you know, you come come with us, we'll give you a jet to fly. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm on board of that. So I went to I went to through ROTC, Air Force ROTC, the last two years. As we were completing our education, they came and said, We're having a reduction of force, and it's gonna be, you know, only Air Force Academy graduates are gonna get flight training for a while. You'll have to wait. And I said, nah, I don't want to do that. And they had what they called the palace option, which meant you could take 90 days of active duty. Uh, you could take your commission, you take 90 days of active duty, and then your commitment was over. So I did that. And at the unit I was assigned to, the 442nd Tactical Airlift Wing, the general said, 
said, you know, we've got two slots open for reserve officers if you'd like one. And I said, yeah, okay. So I did the Air Force Reserve thing for a, a number of years. I was promoted twice, made made captain, and then left the Air Force Reserve. After 9-11, I worked very hard to get into the oh, – there was a point – I'm sorry. There was a point where I was in the Iowa National Guard, too. I was in the, the Iowa National Guard for a year while I was in college because they were – they needed helicopter pilots, and uh, they would pay me. And then when I got into the Air Force ROTC, I had to drop the the guard activities. So after 9-11, I got with the Iowa National Guard and joined a unit here as a captain. And uh, we ended up going to Iraq, spent a year in Iraq, came back, was promoted to major in the National Guard, um, and eventually made lieutenant colonel, and then was forced to retire at Oh, my God, I'm going to have to say it. At age 60, I had to retire. So I retired as a lieutenant colonel. So the Wikipedia page is right. The other thing it does not say, in four years after I retired, I was awarded a bronze star for my uh, service in in Iraq. So, Well, that's all go. really cool. Uh, so you're an actual genuine pilot and military guy then. What's yes. Been your, what's it? What's your experience been like in that environment, uh, talking with other pilots and people in the military about UFOs, because of course, you know, we had the war zone article about the Nimitz case and that brought to life all of this uh, to the stars stuff. And we have the uh, pilot, David Fravor, who talks about seeing one of these things. So you know, can you tell us a little bit about what you think of military people and pilots in general and their credibility in terms of reporting UFOs? Well, I think that military pilots are the most credible, bravest, wonderful people in the entire world. But that's just my personal opinion. I think that, that uh, well, the, I guess to look at it from my point of view, when I, when I was assigned to Richards Gabar Air Force Base, I was um, being escorted around by, by an officer who was you know, showing me where things were. And we went to lunch at the officer's club. And he said to me, you know, I read this interesting story about UFOs. And I'm thinking, why are you bringing this up? And, but he was telling me the story, and I said, oh, yeah, I recognize that. I wrote that article. And then he told me another one, and I'd written that article as well. And, but the, the point is, the military knew about my interest in UFOs. The Air Force knew about my being less than uh, courteous to the way the Air Force handled the UFO investigations. When um, I was being in, had the background investigation for my top secret clearance, the guy doing the investigation happened to live across the street from my father, so they were discussing this. And they had like four or five articles I had written that was critical of the Air Force in, the, uh, in my, my file, but I got my top secret clearance. When I got into the Iowa National Guard the last time before we went to Iraq, um, almost everybody knew I was the uh, – I had – studied ufo so i'd get questions about it never anything derogatory um in fact two ncos came up to me one day and wanted to know if i had a brother and i said why now we're in iraq i said well we saw this documentary on the history channel because we had satellite tv of course and there was a guy with the same last name that looked an awful lot like you and i said yeah that would have been me that would have been me like 10 years ago uh, so there was never any problem with my military career being known as the UFO guy. Um, you know, it's just something that I did. Uh, I know Mick, Nick Mariana, who took the Montana movie, um, there was all kinds of negative things that happened to him. Now, he's a civilian, of course, and he, he just took the photographs of the jets flying over Great Falls, Montana. Um, 
was it Tom Considine did an article in 1950 about UFOs and made derogatory comments about UFO ciders um, being less than credible people. And Mariana had a syndicated radio program. I think he had 14 stations. And after that article came out, I lost nine of them. I mean, there's a direct uh, uh, um, effect of him having seen or reported a UFO. Of course, when things I, are changing now uh, with the New York Times article and so on. Things are looking up. Uh, on the, uh, but the other side of that coin is uh, I never had any problems with it. Uh, I discussed we discussed UFOs periodically with other pilots and other other people about what they'd seen. Oh, so um, you've had discussions with other military people. Oh, absolutely. Mind? Oh, interesting. absolutely. This is really interesting. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations. I think you'd been bored out of your mind. <laughs> no, I love ufology. But um, a lot of time. well, one guy, one guy was telling us about the uh, um, time they'd seen this great orange object as they were flying toward Canada. And they seemed to be getting closer to it and closer to it. And they were getting a little bit nervous. And then they realized it was a wildfire on the ground. So the orange UFO was a wildfire. On the other side of that coin, I was talking to an um, Air Force colonel about uh, the Kinross case, the disappearance of the, was it F-94 right. over Lake Superior in, in 1953? Yeah, it merged with some object and it yes. took off and that was, they never found anything. Well, yeah, they, well, some people say they did. Go ahead. Yeah, anyway, don't let me. Uh, no, they didn't. They didn't find it. That turned out to be a hoax, but yeah. that's a whole other argument. Um, so we, I was talking to him about that and he said, yeah, there were two schools of thought on the base at the time when this happened. One of them was they crashed into the lake and left no wreckage on the surface or no oil slick or anything to be found, which is distinctly possible. And uh, the other school of thought is, yeah, it was a flying saucer. It was something real, uh, something alien. And he said that um, he and another pilot were up not too long after that, and they were flim. And uh, he said, well, what they're going to do is he would call the break and they would turn toward the object to see what it would do. And that's exactly what they did. He called the break, they turned, and the object disappeared. It just flew off, just vanished in an instant. I talked to another pilot. Well, I, I got to him, and it was the story I had been told was that he had um, taken John Kennedy, the President Kennedy, to see the alien, the Roswell aliens. Finally tracked the guy down, was talking to him, and says, yeah, he had been a alternate, alternate pilot on Air Force One. Yes, he had flown John Kennedy around. Um, but he didn't take him to see the Roswell body, but he did have his own UFO sighting and told us, you know, he's flying a fighter plane and he was off. The thing was off to his off his, I think his left side. And he could see through the cockpit windows of the UFO or the dome of the UFO. He could see some, something inside it running the, running the controls and it just vanished in a moment. So yeah, I've had some, I've had pilots tell me their stories. I, I, you know, since I tracked this guy down and got, the he had all the elements of the story were there it was just not as good as it could have been but it was a damn fine story so yeah i talked to pilots who have told me some very interesting things let's proceed with more of this discussion kevin randall gene steinberg the one the only j randall murphy except no substitutes how you like that always complimenting the people who work with me i like it you're in the paracast <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Gold is a better way. Gold is a better way. Gold is a better way dot com. Imagine doing business with a company that seeks to add massive value before asking for your business. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the co-owner of Advantage Gold and the author of the now national best-selling book, Gold is a Better Way. This book may not be for you, but if you're like most people, you'll be blown away when you learn why gold is set to soar to over $10,000. And as a bonus for hitting the bestsellers list, I've been gifted 250 copies from my publisher. If you have an IRA or 401k with over $100,000, I want to send you a copy of the national best-selling book. You can buy it on Amazon or go to Barnes & Noble or be among the first 250 people to reply. Just text the word bestseller to 49776. That's bestseller to 49776 to claim your free national best-selling book now. That's the word bestseller to 49776. We promise to add massive value before ever asking for your business. Just text the word bestseller to 49776. I'm Holly Thomas, Group Vice President of Cause Marketing for Macy's. Every baby deserves the best possible start, but not all babies get one. March of Dimes is changing that. You can help us lead the fight for the health of all moms and babies. Join me and Macy's to March for Babies. Let's raise funds and be champions for families near and far. Together, we are building a brighter future. Sign up for Macy's team today at marchforbabies.org. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Bacon lovers, we ship free. Try our amazing bacon. No refrigeration required. Proprietary value-added packaging provides 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Savory and delicious. Wholesale price for your everyday use. 
Order today at readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Let us proceed here. Now, of course, when we go back to Project Blue Book, one of the dodges there, or at least thought to be by Major Kehoe, was labeling a number of cases as having insufficient information to reach a conclusion as opposed to being unknown. Do you think that was a dodge or legitimately you couldn't tell? I said that myself for a long, long time. Uh, I didn't know Kehoe had said it, but I have said it. Uh, If you go back and you look at the Project Blue Book files, there was 701 sightings that are labeled unidentified. But if you take a look at those labeled as insufficient data for a scientific analysis, you end up with like 4,000 cases. So now you're approaching 5,000 cases, and you're getting close to half of the cases they investigated have no solution to them. Uh, And yes, it's absolutely a dodge. There is a case in the file toward the end of Blue Book where a guy filled out their incredibly inept form to gather information. The, the the response by the Air Force was, well, you know, there's insufficient data. And he wrote back to him, and, they, you know, it's in the Project Blue Book files. He says, well, what information are you lacking that I can give you? I provided you with everything that you asked for on your form. What is lacking? And they um, didn't have any good answer for that. And they eventually labeled the cases unidentified. But, I mean, that demonstrates that, you know, well, we have insufficient data. It doesn't. It, it does not fit into the unidentified category. Ergo, you know, it's not an unexplained case, even though that's in fact what it was. It's what they were doing in the process was just labeling cases to clear them rather than actually providing a logical solution. The other side of that coin is many of the solutions don't work either. Leveland, Texas, for example, I think they decided it was ball lightning. Ball lightning in 1957 was a phenomenon that was not understood. There was an argument about whether ball lightning even existed. But with Leveland, you had people at least at least 13 different locations reporting that the UFO approached close to them, installed their engines, dimmed their lights, filled their radios with static, that sort of thing. So there was an environmental effect by the UFO. Uh, at, at 13 different locations, many of the cases reported independently to the local sheriff or the police department in Leveland, Texas. And you have to wonder, well, gee, what was creating all these ball lightning displays in that limited area, in that limited time in uh, that way? So the explanation for Leveland simply doesn't work. It's labeled as not among the 701 sightings. So when you look at all of that combined, I would venture to say with little hesitation that half the cases in the Project Blue Book files do not have a good explanation. There's there's another one that I just absolutely love, and the Condon Committee investigated as well. It was a uh, aircraft that uh, saw a, a uh, object on its way to um, Greenland, and the explanation that the Condon Committee came up with, the University of Colorado study, came up with, it was a natural phenomenon so rare it had never been seen before or since. (laughs) What the hell kind of explanation is that? 
And wow. then when the Condon Committee had the audacity to say there's nothing of a scientific value to be learned from further study of UFOs, I'm thinking, doesn't this case prove that there actually is? Because you've just discovered a natural phenomenon nobody else has ever seen. Maybe it would be beneficial to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, good point. Well, everybody knows now the Condon Committee in the inquiry is just a whitewash. Um, and and it, uh, we could also look at the, uh, the breakdown sort of. Uh, from the other point of view in that, well, okay, so there were a lot of cases that were thrown automatically into the trash bin. That just indicates that from the Air Force's point of view, there was a lot of what might be called bias against the idea that they might be UFOs or something alien, and therefore they really didn't want to to be seen as being favored in that way at all. And yet they still came up with, at least between the, in the re- report between 47 and 52, the unknowns were still 26.94%. So even with all that bias sort of against them and not picking out some of the better cases, they still couldn't figure them all out. I've been dying to ask you this for quite a while now. If there is information in the files about the Arnold sighting, why nothing about Roswell? And, and, and that's and that's a very good question because there is a reference to the Roswell case in the files. It's in a four-paragraph news article in I think it's a case from July tenth, nineteen forty-seven, and all it says is the officers at Roswell had been issued a blistering rebuke for their report of finding finding the flying saucer or something to that effect. So there is a mention in there. The Project Blue Book files are filled in 1947 with any number of cases that report crash retrieval. Um, Surreyport, Louisiana, where it was an obvious hoax. Uh, things like that are in the files. Roswell was international news for at least three hours when they didn't know what it was until they came up with their cockamamie explanation. Why is there no file or investigation about that in in the Project Blue Book files? That's a very interesting question, and it's one that I know that Don Schmidt and I have discussed in a number of times, and, and, and I've discussed it with a number of other people as well, that given the way they were gathering information in 1947, given the fact that there was uh, so many cases that came about landings and crash retrievals in the files how did they avoid roswell what was different about roswell than all these other cases that kept them out of the blue book files getting back to heineck he said i think something to the effect and i paraphrase that the really good cases didn't come to blue book they went somewhere else yeah they went to osi from what i can tell if i if you follow the trail back in those days Actually, I think that the the regulation called for him to go to the 4602nd Air Intelligence Service Squadron, which morphed into, I think, the 1006 to the 1127th Air Activities Group that morphed into something else. They were supposedly doing the investigations. General Bolander also said that the really hot cases or the really good cases, the cases that affected national security, I guess is the way he said it, uh, were not part of the Blue Book system which means there's a whole category of cases that did not make it to the Blue Book files because of national security implications. After um, October of 1957, there was something called Project Moondust. There was a UFO component to that as well. And, and I found four cases in September of 1960 in the Blue Book files labeled as Moondust. They're really crappy cases. 
uh, you know, a guy saw something for like a split second over Puerto Rico. And the answer was it was a meteor. And given the information, could well have been a meteor. But there were moon dust cases that had gotten into the Blue Book files as well. But there's an indication there's a, there was a gathering of intelligent information that went elsewhere that did not get to Blue Book. And so you've got the public relations aspect of Blue Book that took place after, as you mentioned, the Robertson panel in 1953, where the information was coming from the public relations office instead of the Air Intelligence and Technical Center. So you've got all of that to look at as well. Now, what's interesting to me is this national security question. I would think that any, and we'll get into it in our next segment, about the national security dodge, excuse, or reason, with Kevin, Sheen, and Randall, you're in The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off the grid mobile survival bug out house that's well equipped and custom built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement, you bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family survival to survivalistcamps.com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. USA Radio News with Wendy King. The governor of Virginia is taking a lot of heat for a racially charged photo of a person dressed in Ku Klux Klan clothing, standing next to a person wearing blackface. It was a 1984 college yearbook, and one of the people pictured is Ralph Northam. I cannot change the decisions I made, nor can I undo the harm my behavior caused then and today. But I accept responsibility for my past actions and I'm ready to do the hard work of regaining your trust. The NAACP is calling for his resignation, but he says he won't resign. The Virginia Legislative Black Caucus called the photo disgusting, reprehensible, and offensive. Also calling for his resignation, Democratic Senator Cory Booker. He just announced he's a candidate for the 2020 presidential nomination. You're listening to USA Radio News. Are you struggling with addiction or alcohol problems? If you're depressed, drinking, and using drugs, you may need help. And the Affordable Care Act guarantees coverage of substance abuse. I knew I could get myself out of this. I just needed some hope and some help. I took the first step to recovery when I made the call. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-854-1055. 800-854-1055. 
1-800-227-7055. I feel like I'm losing control. I'm afraid I'll lose my job or even my family. Call now for hope and help with proven gentle recovery programs. I never thought that I could be somebody who didn't drink and use drugs. I'm in recovery, getting the help I need. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-854-1055. Hey everyone, Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pour cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping, plus a free gift, the new charcoal pour cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662, or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code RADIO. You heard right, Proactive MD, plus free shipping and a free gift, the new charcoal pour cleansing brush. You'll get all this for just $19.95, and their 60-day money-back guarantee. You're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear. Or you get your money back. Call now. 1-800-583-8662. That's 1-800-583-8662. Or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code RADIO. Again, go to Proactive.com and enter promo code RADIO. Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal. And you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. The National Security Dodge. I would think here that any real unexplained object that might possibly be extraterrestrial has to involve the possibility of a threat to national security. So where do we separate that? If you look at the history of what was going on, I think back in the June of 1947, where all this sort of exploded after the Arnold sighting, you look at all of that, and Ruppelt writes about how the Pentagon was in a panic in July of 1947 because they didn't know what was going on. I think that... Um, uh, Howard McCoy, Colonel Howard McCoy, who had been involved with the Foo Fighter investigation during the Second World War, who was involved indirectly with the uh, Ghost Rocket investigations in 1946, uh, and then was commissioned, so to speak, to write uh, to uh, create a project to look into these flying phenomenon reports in December of 1946, you know, like six, seven months before Arnold's sighting, uh, an unofficial investigation. So now you've, you've got this sort of history, and then suddenly we've got all these sightings over the United States, and the, the Air Force, you know, the Army Air Forces is in a panic, not knowing exactly what it was. So that is a national security implication. I think by the time you get later on, and, and nothing has happened to suggest an alien invasion or that sort of thing, they've sort of relaxed. And so no longer do they see the mere uh, sighting report as a threat to national security. They have to have something more. And they, you look at a lot of the cases, and people are seeing Venus. I mean, they're really seeing Venus, especially when it's low on the horizon and it's very bright. It can look like a lot of the things that people have described. They're realizing that there is a uh, natural phenomenon. They look at the Mantell case. I mean, here's a pilot killed chasing a flying saucer. It turns out he was chasing a skyhook balloon. 
And we even know where the skyhook was launched. We can follow its path and we can look at if you, if you plot the stuff out on a map, you can see that's clearly what he saw, but he didn't know what it was because the skyhook program was classified in 1948. It was a huge balloon that was made of not neoprene, but mylar-like material. So it had a metallic shine to it and it could get to be a hundred feet in diameter. And so he sees this object high in the sky that looks like a flying disc and uh, he, he attempts to catch up to it it gets above an altitude where there basically virtually no oxygen and he passes out they've got to find these answers quickly because there's national security implications but once they have some of the answers they relax because they know a lot of this stuff is just misidentifications they know a lot of this stuff is is not true or not what people have perceived it to be when you look at the national security aspects, there were the sightings in Belt, Montana in 1967, I think it was. Maelstrom Air Force Base is located in that area, and they had all these missile silos. And at one point, all the missiles in one of the flights, they called them flights, I think it was 10 missiles, all of them shut down. They couldn't be launched. And it was apparently some sort of an outside force that triggered that shutdown. They eventually came back online. That's a national security implication. Robert Salas talks about how it happened to his flight some three or four days later, and he wasn't sure whether it was just part of the missiles that had shot down or all of them. But that becomes a very that becomes a national security implication. Now, the content committee was there to investigate the sightings, not related to the missile shutdowns, but other sightings that were going on in the area at the same time. And they're dealing with a um, lieutenant colonel. His name escapes me. Lewis something. I forget his last name, or his last name may have been Lewis. Uh, Lewis Chambers, something like that. Please don't quote me on that. But he was a UFO officer. And so he's meeting with the Condon Committee guy who uh, wants to talk about this. And he says, I can't deal with that. It's national security. And the guy says, well, I have a clearance. And he says, you're not cleared for national security and wouldn't share the details with him. So there's a national security implication. Because if some outside force can shut down their missiles, then that means the Soviets could learn how to do that. And if they could do that, then they they take out one of the... Um, legs of our response well yeah. the response to any kind of, of of attack so you know there's a national security implication there which they did look into if you've got some kind of object that's been seen by a witness and let's say let's say for the sake of argument guy gets up at three o'clock in the morning looks outside see his light crossing the sky calls the air force and says this is what i've seen now, if it's a private airplane with a landing light on for some reason, and it's far enough away and the wind's blowing the right direction, all he sees is the bright light crossing the sky. No national security implication there. You can't answer the question because it's a private plane and he may be uh, flying VFR. So there's no way to solve that because you've got a single witness and you don't you have limited information. You can tell where it was, but there's nothing to say that was a private plane. You've got to have another piece of information to identify it. So I think they looked at it from that point of view as well, and that there were other means in place to identify the real threats to national security as opposed to somebody seeing a light in the night sky. So you, you look at all of that sort of thing, and I think you get a better picture of what was going on. But there was a they did believe there was a national security implication. And I've always said the same thing you do. You know, if you're, if you're dealing with this sort of thing, that is national security. You've got to find out what that is because it may be a precursor of some sort of um, enemy 
uh, response or some sort of enemy appearance. You've got to make sure that we're not vulnerable to an attack. So, you know, this kind of a double-edged sword. So when they say today we don't investigate UFO sightings, that's probably true. But they will respond to the UFO sighting if the circumstances are, are, are correct. They will ha- They have to respond to it because that's their mission. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, just last year they were scrambling F-15s out of the Northwest uh, to try and track down some strange object that some airline pilots were reporting. I'm not sure if you happen to run across that case or not, but but you don't scramble F-15s for no reason if it has nothing to do with national security. It it just doesn't make any sense to me. And the other thing is, and I'm not sure what the, the, the protocol is today, but it used to be that the air defense like that scrambling aircraft was left to the air guard. It was an air guard mission. So active forces weren't participating for the most part in those sorts of things. But, uh, you know, still F-50, we're talking about military hardware, right? Designed specifically to ensure the security of the nation. So I think it's safe to say that that falls broadly under national security. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, back in those days, too, something to that people should remember is that they had a definition of UFOs in the military from Air Force Regulation 202, and it ruled out things that you were talking about, like vague lights off in the distance, aircraft, or even things that could be probably determined to be aircraft if it was seen, say, near an airport or in a flight corridor or something like that. They were just arbitrarily deemed to be something normal. Unidentified flying objects were things that were uh, fantastical by nature. Uh, Any airborne object, which by performance, aerodynamic characteristics, or unusual features, does not conform to known aircraft or missiles, or which does not correspond to definitions in A or B, which are all the familiar known objects and unknown, even unknown aircraft. If it could be an aircraft that we've never even seen before, but it looks kind of like a plane, it's got a tail, it's got wings, it's weird, but no, it's not a UFO. So this idea that, you know, just any vague light off in the distance is a UFO, that is completely not accurate in terms of how the objects were originally defined and investigated by the Air Force back in those days. The the other thing I think is that if there there would have been some instrumentality involved, in other words, it was seen on radar. So if you've got you've got somebody seeing something strange in the sky they can't identify and it's seen on radar, that's another level that you need to take a look at. Absolutely, uh, Rupelt talks about that quite a bit. He says that you know he would fly out to the bases and talk to the commanders there. I'm not a military guy, so you'll have to uh, excuse me if I get some of the terminology wrong. But he was saying that. Those commanders believed in their pilots, and when they would get something on their radar and send them up there and their pilots would see them, it tended to be pretty hard to dismiss. One more segment with Kevin Randall, How Time Flies. When you're having fun, we are enjoying this session. Randall, Gene, Kevin, you're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. 
You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Ted Anderson telling you about Jordan Rubin's Beyond Organic Green-Fed Raw Cheddar Artesian Cheese featuring whole milk created through ancient dairy breeding, unpasteurized, untreated whole milk on the same farm the cows graze, containing natural sources of omega-3s, CLA protein, calcium, probiotics, and enzymes. I have never tasted cheese this good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. Know someone with a drinking or drug problem? Learn how to get sober after we share these stories. I was 35 with two beautiful children when my life and addiction started to spiral out of control. After my divorce, I went into a depression cycle and started drinking more often and using prescription drugs. After my second DWI and arrest, my ex-husband threatened to take our children away from me. I was 17 when I became addicted to heroin and meth. I thought I could quit on my own, but I couldn't. It hit me when I was arrested. Get sober now. Your private insurance may cover costs and we'll get you here. It's simple. Just call Elite Rehab Placement right now. Please, don't wait. Your life matters to us. 800-213-9264 Call right now before it's too late 800-213-9264 Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow But soon, you'll need a plan and place to survive Forget bunkers, you're not a live underground gopher you need Survivalist Camps, the ultimate fully functional, off-the-grid mobile survival bug-out house that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement? You bet. See them now at SurvivalistCamps.com. That's SurvivalistCamps.com. Trust your family's survival to SurvivalistCamps.com.
This is Micah Hanks of the Grayley Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, Randall, you were talking here about radar sightings and such like that. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, the radar visuals and that the commanders who were sending their people up to intercept them, they had faith in their pilots. And so there was a divide in the Air Force back in those days between the people who were having these actual experiences and others who weren't. And then that's when the great divide kind of set in. Well, I think, you know, the the idea is it depends on what your mission is. And if your mission is you know, air defense and you've, you've got something on radar and the pilot goes up and sees it and says, yeah, I, I saw that. The Washington Nationals come to mind where they had an awful lot of things in the sky, an awful lot of pilots seeing them, and they had an awful lot of stuff being painted on radar. So, you know, there were intercepts made. I was talking to um, Dewey Fournay, who was in the radar room. And he wouldn't tell me what it happened. No, I was Al Chop wouldn't tell me what it happened. He said, "Well, one of the sightings got pretty hairy." And I said, "What do you mean?" So, well, yeah, well, you really can't talk about it. And so I was talking to Dewey Fournay, who was also in the room, and I said, "You know, Al Chop mentioned the sighting that got pretty hairy." He says, "Yeah, the pilot got surrounded by these things." Fournay told me the whole story. Um, the lights, whatever they were, uh, responded to the interceptor being in the area and sort of surrounded the airplane and then took off. I think it was Fournay had also said that there was one point where the interceptors got there and all the UFOs disappeared off the screen, like they were responding to the fact that the interceptors had entered the area. Once the interceptors left, all those unidentified blips came back. So you've got the the UFOs apparently reacting to the presence of the uh, Air Force fighters. That, you, that's you, an incredible case, that one, actually. when you, I had written that one off for a number of years because I'd seen that photograph, you know, the typical one with all the lens flares, and they analyze it, and, oh, yeah, that's obviously lens flares. And only some years later did I come across the same evidence that you're just talking about, where it's not as simple. Something really weird was going on with the 52 flap. The photograph over the Capitol building, that's an obvious fake. And that really has nothing to do with the Washington National sightings, other than the fact it was taken in Washington, D.C. in 1952. What you have to look at is the radar operators at the Washington National Airport. I think there were radar operators at the Ground Control Center, and there were radar operators at, at Andrews Air Force Base. Yeah, two separate facilities. And, and then you had some of the fighters show up, and they're picking up things on their radar as well. Exactly. So you've got you've got to look at the numbers of people. The guys the guys running the radar at Washington National Airport they were familiar with what weather returns and that sort of thing looked like on their scope, and they were ignoring those. That all has a national security implication because now the things are over Washington D.C. and the uh, government gets all paranoid about things that may may impact them. Those were jets that they were using back then, too, still. They weren't too primitive. I mean, by today's standards, yeah. I mean, oh, by today's standards, are like biplanes, <laughs> for God's yeah. sakes. <laughs> but, I mean, an F-94 was a military jet. And so it, it's not like there was and much that could get ahead of it, you know. It was state-of-the-art in 1954, but I think any of our airplanes today could probably take out a dozen of them before they, the F-884 could even get into the range to engage. So. They would even see it. It would be, yeah. yeah, exactly. The fight would be over before the F-94s realized there was another aircraft in the area. There was a movie called The Final Countdown where they, the aircraft carrier Nimitz got 
teleported back to Pearl Harbor just before the Japanese attack. And I went to see the movie because I wanted to see. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen that movie. That was I wanted to see fun. the F-14s mix it up with the Japanese <laughs> airplanes. And, of course, that never happened. But you, you can imagine what an F-14 would do to a propeller-driven plane in uh, 1941 they would have just blown them out of the sky which oh, of course flying past it its supersonic speed would probably <laughs> well, disable well, it how would how would the japanese engage them the machine guns are useless because the jets can outfly the machine gun bullets in fact if you if you look at the dogfighting with the machine guns and jets today they have to make sure they break off the pursuit so they don't f- fly into their own bullets because they can catch up and fly into their own bullets there's an interesting tidbit uh, my dad used to say, though, you know, with the price of these new jets, they could have built 10,000 P-51s and flown them over instead, the, you know. So. The P-51 would have <laughs> would have wreaked havoc on the uh, Japanese in 1941 yeah. the, because it would have been so far, far superior to the Zeros and the other planes that they were flying at that time. They, even the P-51 as a prop plane would have done that. What's but your the, favorite airplane of all time? Just, I mean, being a pilot. What do you think is the coolest airplane they've ever built? Well, obviously the Huey helicopter. Okay. <laughs> Helicopters are did, pretty awesome. Did you really have to add the Huey helicopter was the greatest aircraft ever made? I even blew one up on a landmine once. So there you go. Wow. Not Good on thing you weren't hurt. Not on purpose. And for those of you who do not believe this, go to the 187th Assault Helicopter Company website. Go to unit history. And I think it's... I think it's May May 12, 1969. It mentions that I blew a helicopter up on a landmine. Wow. So there you go. Now, are those the ones that they actually, that's where the, the term chopper came from because of that chopping sound that they make? I don't know why they called them choppers. We never did. We always called them helicopters. Got to get you the chopper. When you say chopper, I think motorcycle. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or a Thompson, yeah. a Thompson submachine gun. Oh, okay. So there you go. That's like a little Warren Zevon there, Thompson Thompson Gunner, right? Roll in the Thompson Gunner. Or do you, no, I don't know. Are you familiar with Warren Zevon? Now we're uh, getting off topic. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about. Oh, Warren Z- Werewolves of London? No. Oh, no. no? Oh, wow. You guys go way back then. Okay. That's, this is after your time. You know, I can still watch movies that they like make today. I can watch them on TV. You know, I have access to movie streaming services. Well, hey, before the end of the show here, have you got any talks coming up or new books you want to promote or well, the, uh, the, what's going on in the life of Kevin D. Randall right now? Well, the interesting thing is the interesting thing is the blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com where you can find my interview with Paul Hynek, for example, and uh, listen to Paul Hynek talk about what his father would have thought of the Project Blue Book show and uh, things like that. I'm working on a couple of books. See what happens with that. Uh, I may be in Roswell in for the celebration in July. I'm scheduled to be there, and that's the the next talk that I'm going to be at. So there you go. Uh, the book, the latest book was Encounter in the Desert, which is about the Lonnie Zamora sighting in depth with, I think, some new information in that. And I did a book prior to that called Roswell in the 21st Century, which I look at as a cold case investigation of Roswell. Let's look at it in today's environment and see where we are, which I think 
kind of moves us back from the extraterrestrial, doesn't eliminate the extraterrestrial, but suggests maybe the evidence that we thought was so robust in the 90s may not have been quite as good as we thought based on how the testimonies of some of the people are now uh, treated. So there you go. That's a quick rundown. Well, back in 2015, I was watching a YouTube video. Now, back in 2015, you were still of the opinion that the Roswell crap was something extraterrestrial. Now you're not so sure. Or do you still believe it, but you're just not so sure? I'm just not so sure. I, I, there's no explanation for it. I think the ex- extraterrestrial might be the best. But if you want to look at it from an evidential point of view, we really can't prove it. That's it, folks. I wish we can go on for another couple of hours. But Kevin Randall will be back on this weekend's After the Paracast. In the meantime, once again, Kevin Randall, tell our listeners where they can find your blog. The blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and the book Conversations, among others, is available at Amazon.com. You can find us on Twitter, where things are being modified. Look for the official Paracast fan clubs, or two of them, and now our webmaster marketing guy is trying to combine them into one or do something. The Twitter account is the Paracast. That's undergoing modification as well. And by the way, if you're interested in tech gadgets, we have just opened up the Tech Night Owl store. That's technightowl.store, which works with technightowl.com. Check it out. There's a set of nice headphones there now, and more stuff is coming. We also have the Paracast Plus, where you can get a version of this show free of the network ads and with better quality audio. And here's how you get it. Get the information. Go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. We also offer the After the Paracast podcast. This is exclusive. You can only get it if you subscribe to Paracast Plus. Plus.theparacast.com. Once again, that's plus.theparacast.com. Kevin Randall, thank you so much for joining us on the Paracast. It has been delightful. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in... The Paracast.